You're listening to From the Burgundy Chairs, a podcast for health system leaders created by Santis Health. Hi, everyone. My name is Ben King, and I'm the Director of Digital Health and Innovation here at Santis Health. Today, I'm joined by Zahava Yudin to discuss how artificial intelligence is used to improve administrative efficiencies. We'll talk about the GE Healthcare Command Center approach and how it's used to optimize acute care utilization. We'll also discuss the challenges with the implementation of AI and the predicted influence of policy changes. Before we get started, I want to introduce our guest. Zahava is a managing director with GE Healthcare's Command Center team. With this role, she helps healthcare organizations re-engineer clinical operations and implement capabilities for real-time orchestration of patient care delivery. Zahava has held various leadership and delivery roles at GE Healthcare since she joined in 2000. And prior to that, she worked with the healthcare functional programming firm and at a teaching hospital in Toronto. So just to start off this conversation uh, with a really basic question, can you provide a bit of detail about how a command center actually works on a practical level and what it does? So command centers in healthcare mean many things to different people. And I think um, let's start with getting grounded on what we're really talking about. Um, I tend to think of command centers in three ways. You know, first, they're about harnessing healthcare data that's been created all the time and putting that data at the fingertips of teams and individuals in a useful, powerful and easy way and always in real time so they can take action in the moment when action is actually needed. Um, Second, uh, command center capabilities sometimes mean a department, uh, a hub, a center of gravity, where there are central functions like bed management, um, like housekeeping, staffing, scheduling, that are not only represented there, but also empowered and working together to solve problems. You know, they're looking around corners, uh, they are proactively intervening, um, they're solving complex barriers to care, Um, And and they're dealing with tough situations that have been escalated by frontline care teams. And then third, and maybe uh, less obvious, command centers are about the entire organization working in sync as one connected team. Nurses, physicians, porters, uh, clerical folks, uh, physio, uh, lab techs, pharmacy techs, you know, and the staff in the command center, you know, they are all working off of the same situational awareness at any given time. uh, And they use the same real-time insights to prioritize which patient care activities need attention next. So you can kind of see that in this way, decisions are being made not only in the best interest of an individual patient on a specific inpatient unit, but they're being made in the context of all patients and what all those patients need at any given time. Um, So, Ben, you know, I'd like to click on a couple of things that I touched on there just because I think it's really important um, in understanding how command center analytics work and complement other tools that are out there. So I mentioned healthcare data is being created all the time. And if you consider all the vitals, information, schedules, assessments, orders, Um, results um, that are generated for every patient every second, you know, collectively, we're talking about a lot of data. And it's all that data is always updating, and it's doing so as patient care is happening across the enterprise. So healthcare data is dynamic by its very nature, which makes it so difficult for busy caregivers um, to to gather it to process it, analyze it and use it efficiently and effectively. And as well, you know, I mentioned easy. It's really important to um, double click on that. You know, information that has high value, high utility, 
but that's difficult for caregivers to get at is actually not that useful. You know, many systems that don't reach their full adoption fall into this category. You know, if the information requires me to dig for it or I need to connect the dots with some other data I have to look up elsewhere, then the chances are I'm not going to have time to do that and I'm not going to get to it. So command center information has to be automated. It has to be quick and it has to be easy. And we put a lot of care into getting that just right. Okay. So um, so I'm curious on the data. So I I appreciate you going to a bit more sort of depth on that. Um, And obviously, like we're talking about analytics and AI, um, I'm curious about how the command center sort of works in terms of like, what's human and what's machine um, when it comes to sort of extracting insights from that data, how much of that is automated and it's AI providing insights to providers and how much of it is just sort of providing data to clinicians and, and sort of the human is making those decisions? Like how do you, how do you balance those two things? In answering that question, Ben, um, let me unpack a little bit how AI is incorporated into our various command center tiles. And I like to think about it in terms of um, a couple of categories. If you look at uh, the first one, you know, AI, it's automatically generating guidance and advice uh, for the bed allocator, the charge nurse, the intensivist. Um, And that guidance, that's always real time. Uh, It's based on analysis of the most current information available. It's available 24 seven, and it saves time and energy having to manually generate reports multiple times per day. And I think a lot of people can uh, uh, relate to that point. you know, really what the what AI does is it saves time digging for information that's obsolete by the time it's found, it's analyzed, and it's distributed to those that need it. Um, you know, AI and command center analytics help solve questions like which seniors across our three sites have 10 or more prescribed medications, um, are also on one high-risk medication, and they haven't been assessed by pharmacy in over 48 hours. Think of all the mouse clicks. Think of all the systems I got to go into to pull out that one insight. And that, you know, that might take me an hour to figure out, if not a whole lot more time. But what the analytic is doing is calculating that every 30 seconds and making that available to me anytime that I need it and flagging to me uh, when it's reached an alerting status. Um, You know, other examples, where is every patient who is not where they need to be now, whether they're in the ED, the recovery room, or in the operating room, and what scenarios exist uh, to get them to where they're supposed to be. And so to answer your question, what's artificial intelligence versus what's human intelligence? How does it come together? I think those are good examples where you can see the AI and the analytic surfacing the opportunity to eliminate a delay or mitigate a risk. And really it's up to the caregiver, the human, to use that guidance, to use that advice, to make the best decision they can. So the problem in, in that category of problems I described, it's, 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 it's not um, the lack of data to answer the question, but it's the fact that there's too much data and that data is in silos and it isn't actionable and it's really hard to get at. So let me just quickly comment on, you know, a second category of AI in our command center analytics. And that's the use of machine learning and other algorithms to predict future system behavior uh, in a continuously changing environment. As I said, healthcare is dynamic. Um, You know, it's adaptive. 
We're always changing capacities. We're moving around beds. We're changing our staffing mix. Um, healthcare is networked. It's about people flowing across a system of interdependent departments. And it's constantly changing because patients are continually coming into, into the system. They're queuing, they're deteriorating, they're coding, they're expiring, they're discharging. So if we agree that the hospital is always changing, it's a networked system, and you know we're, we're constantly changing, we have the ability to change capacities, then we can appreciate the role that machine learning and other advanced algorithms would play in achieving operational impact. And let me give you an example here. Um, you know, we have one of our analytics called the treatment team workload tile. Our analytics are also known as tiles. Um, so this, this tile was developed to help physician leaders address physician burnout by monitoring throughout the day, uh, the current and the predicted patient load for a particular treatment team. Uh, and that treatment team might include, you know, attendings, residents, extend, physician extenders, and other roles. And so the patient load algorithm is considering about 30 input factors, things like, um, you know, how many admits do we have left to do in the shift, the number of discharges, the number of transfers, the amount of triaging activity, consults, orders, code events. Um, you know, where are my patients? Are they scattered across a number of units or are they... Um, uh, cohorted closer together, um, deterioration scores, cl other clinical complexities. And what it's doing, it's using those 30 factors and calculating the remaining workload for each treatment team across the hospital. And it's comparing what's left to do with what's remaining in their actual shift. So very quickly, we can see at any time throughout the shift, um, and we can also use machine learning. We also use machine learning to see 72 hours ahead and look at all the shifts in the next 72 hours, and we can see where there are opportunities to better redistribute workload. So that's patients, patient assignments, and or uh, where we have the physicians working and, and doing that more optimally among the different treatment teams, keeping workload balanced, keeping it manageable, and keeping physicians from being overstressed. So, so again, just to summarize, you know, two ways we use AI in our command center tiles. One is to simplify and significantly improve situational awareness um, where it's needed, either because it's clunky, time intensive, or impossible to do on a 24-7 basis. And two, to predict the near future and prompt early intervention if it's needed. So that sounds like a lot of really interesting uses of data to sort of improve the day-to-day the -day workflow for providers and the hospital itself. I'm, I'm curious about what the sort of effects of that are for patients and or for the health system? Like what, what do you see when command centers are put in place um, in terms of benefits beyond just like day-to-day -day workflow and operations? You know, we've seen many of the organizations where we've, where we've done this command center work unlock you know, bed capacity through better care progression, um, better discharge planning, better quality and safety. You know, they've established more highly reliable um, healthcare operations. Um, and all of that has resulted in lower inpatient length of stay when you're reducing, looking for bottlenecks, surfacing them uh, proactively. So, you know, we're gonna have a bottleneck in the recovery room um, later this afternoon. Well, why don't we reroute patients down to recover the low acuity patients 
to recover down in surgical daycare. We've got some capacity over there over the next few hours. And those are the kinds of agile decision, uh, decisions that are, that are made um, to change on the fly when you're working with real-time data. Uh, and, and that's what patients feel, right? They, they feel, hey, I'm not waiting. Um, I'm not delayed. I'm not in um, the wrong care setting. I'm not in a hallway. This is about, a lot of this is about eliminating hallway medicine in Canada. And so really the, what the patients feel is um, kind of a more seamless um, uh, experience uh, through their length of stay. They may not realize that their length of stay is, you know, two days shorter than what it would have been without command center analytics driving some of the uh, helping to drive some of the activity in the background. So, so it's better, it's better quality, it's better safety as well. Um, and what we've seen is that uh, whereas the initial focus of command center work was all about access and getting, you know, patients in the door um, faster into the beds they need to be in faster. Um, there was a quite intentional um, uh, impact on quality and safety. And several of the organizations we work with, Humber River in Toronto, to name one, um, really um, ran with the quality and safety opportunity that command center analytics afford. Um, so if you think about things like hospital harm, uh, you know, in Canada, there's 31 hospital harm measures uh, that are uh, you know, uh, tracked um, annually and published uh, in a report, uh, Kaihai report annually. And, you know, Humber consistently outperforms other hospitals on that report uh, to the tune of about 50% better. And they attribute a lot of that work to their ability to manage quality and safety in real time. You know, some examples of that are um, being able to surface patients that are deteriorating early to prevent things like code blues, prevent transfers to the ICU. Um, those are the kinds of things the tiles are doing. So again, better patient care experience. They may not realize it. Um, it's meant to be by design uh, behind the scenes, but that's really the impact to patients. Um, they're getting better care, they're getting shorter care, uh, they're getting home faster. Um, the impact to the system, you know, we talk a lot about efficiency in healthcare. And, you know, this is really about, can we avoid having to add more beds to the system? Can we do more with our existing resources? Can we make do with our um, three CTs and not have to add a fourth one until we really are bursting at the seams? We don't want to add um, make capital investments until in healthcare until we are absolutely certain that we are using our existing capacity to the fullest. Um, and sometimes we're not because we don't have that situational awareness and we don't have that real-time information. So that's really the opportunity that command center analytics present uh, for the system is the ability to unlock capacity where it might be hiding behind um, inefficient processes or just flying blind as we're trying to deliver healthcare. Well, that, that's a really interesting point. So I think, you know, in certainly Ontario now, but I think if you look across the country, um, you know, capacity is kind of like the word right now to summarize the challenge that systems are facing. Um, HHR shortages, physical space shortages, capital capacity, um, I think whether you want to call it a crisis or not, capacity is, is the big challenge in the system. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of curious for your thoughts 
Um, you mentioned the the Humber implementation that you've had that you have. I, I know that happened. I don't know, is it seven or eight years ago now? Um, that implementation happened with sort of great fanfare. Everything I've heard is that it's working really well. Uh, it is the kind of thing that could help address capacity challenges in the system. And yet, you know, this isn't like the standard in hospitals in Ontario or elsewhere. And I'm, I'm curious, given that, you know, the system sort of moving in this direction of trying to optimize capacity and given that that will probably entail, um, you know, better analytics and better use of data, why do you think it hasn't spread more than it has um, what do you think the barriers are that are, are precluding that spread? Well, I think there's a few reasons why adoption has been slower than what we would have expected following the success of um, Humber's uh, implementation, which um, went live in, in uh, 2017. Um, I think first, one reason that there's been a significant amount of EMR upgrades and replacements that have happened um, across Canada these last few years and besides consuming a lot of time, resource, and uh, just bandwidth, these projects sometimes result in an EMR first mindset uh, that can last, you know, two or more years uh, following the EMR implementation. And think about it, you know, you're spending hundreds of millions of dollars and leadership often feels pressured after an EMR spend to um, make the most out of the EMR. And, and EMRs have come a long way and there are um, analytics capability inside of those systems. Um, however, you know, command center tools by design, uh, they're filling a gap where EMRs struggle. And these gaps tend to be where multimodal information is required to generate an insight, um, uh, where information is changing on a minute to minute basis, where we might need a predictive algorithm to make a decision now or where, you know, the protocol logic is complex, um, you know, where staff might have to collaborate across disciplines and need, you know, very usable information. And when you look at the EMR architecture, it makes all of this difficult. So I, I think we'll see with time um, that many EMR first strategies uh, where they've tried to kind of fit a, square peg into a round hole, I think um, some of those strategies um, uh, might have to pivot in a new direction. Um, but related to this, you know, organizations that are, if you look at the flip side, organizations that are planning an EMR replacement or an upgrade, so they might be a year or two in front of that, um, they might be in a state where they've frozen any digital spend until after the dust settles on their implementation. And, and this can be short-sighted. Um, you know, as command center tiles, they can be implemented quickly. It typically takes us about four months to get the first tile up and running and then roughly two months per tile after that. So we know from experience, um, you know, implementations don't take 24 months the way they used to take eight years ago uh, when we did our first um, implementation. Um, and we also know from experience with several large programs that we can repipe the interfaces if an EMR replacement or an upgrade project starts um, after the command center has gone live. We've done that in several instances. We have a playbook. We know how to do that um, well. Um, and so capacity and staffing pressures that exist today, I think you know, there's, they're very real and they don't benefit from anybody waiting uh, one or two years to get started. I think another reason that impacts the uptake of command centers is this whole healthcare analytics space has gotten very crowded. 
And I do think it's challenging um, me being on the inside of it, but um, for those that aren't uh, working uh, within it every day, it's challenging and maybe even confusing for providers and organizations to figure out what to do next in this space. You know, you've got companies that are startups, they're building niche applications. Uh, you've got in-house hospital teams that are looking to build innovative apps and hopefully commercialize them and create new revenue streams for the hospital. Uh, you have EMR vendors, as I mentioned earlier, with built-in analytics uh, that do um, specific things. Uh, you've got workflow system vendors, uh, you know, might be a housekeeping or portering system uh, that has built-in analytics. And then you've got, you know, capacity optimization um, analytics firms. That's all they do is uh, patient flow analytics. And then you've got command center software firms like GE Healthcare. And uh, our whole business is really around, um, you know, implementing a platform that's end to end. So some of these focus, you know, might focus on one topic, some on several topics, uh, others like our platform on, you know, all topics end to end from, you know, when the patient comes into the hospital to when they leave the hospital and even a little bit beyond that. Um, and, and really, it's, it's a really overwhelming space. And then if I could just offer you, you know, one, one more thought about adoption. I, I think organizations are still trying to unpack what artificial intelligence means for them. You know, what, what does machine learning mean for them? What exists out there? What do they need? What do they not need? What's their analytics strategy? I see a lot of organizations kind of working on that digital strategy and thinking about doing command centers, thinking about doing other things. You know, how does it support the strategic plan? So I, I think there's a lot of planning and it kind of gets into um, a little bit of analysis paralysis. So, you know, and on top of that, you know, when we kind of double click on machine learning. Um, it's, it's, you know, we've built a very deep team that's, uh, that does uh, specifically, that builds the machine learning into our tiles. And a key reflection, you know, doing this for a number of years now is that you need to know which predictions are useful. You know, we've done quite a few things with ML, uh, some with a lot of impact, like our census and staffing forecast tile, um, like the treatment team workload tile I, I spoke to you about. Um, and in some cases, we've done some things with ML that have had less impact. And we've learned that, you know, sometimes we can burn a lot of energy to build a really accurate forecast. Um, so we've learned over time to really pressure test prediction ideas. And if we know X and it was predicted perfectly, is there anything we can do about it? Those are the kinds of conversations that we have with the organizations we work with. But I, but I think there are kind of providers out there that are, that are kind of, um, you know, experimenting with ML. And I think there's a lot of time and energy being spent on, on developing, um, um, machine learning algorithms that uh, where we, we, we're not quite certain, um, you know, how um, practical they're going to be in the end. It sounds like what you're conveying is a, sort of a very busy space with a lot of possibility. Um, and with you mentioned, you know, analysis paralysis, which I always find a, a sort of very interesting concept that in a sense, like you're, you're trying too hard or you're thinking too much about this problem. Um, I know right now, like the federal government, this is one of their top priority pillars, I believe it's one of four, uh, to sort of improve data and modernize the system. There's a lot of interest in better analytics and capacity optimization, but it feels like, to your point about it being a very crowded space, 
there's a lot of sort of general interest and money without like necessarily a very focused push. Um, do you see kind of the current trends in policy and funding as sort of uniformly positive or if you could sort of made, wave a magic wand uh, and have government sort of change their approach, whether it's federally or provincially to data, um, what would you want government to do in this space that would be different? Well, I, I think that the investments are being made and, and I really, um, I'm encouraged to see the investments in modernizing, you know, IT infrastructure, um, you know, in hospitals, uh, really basic infrastructure that has fallen behind the times. But, but I think we're overdue for a change in mindset, you know, by the system as a whole, whether it's, whether it's government, whether it's, you know, IT leaders, um, care providers, everyone really. And, and that mindset shift, I think that needs to happen is, is on a number of levels. I think first, you know, thinking less about command centers as a nice to have, but more so as a must have in today's environment, we wouldn't run a hospital without an electronic medical record. And for those that do today, um, and there's pockets of them, they, they, their number one priority is to, is to invest in a um, electronic patient record. Um, so, you know, for organizations that have um, command center software today, we see that the, the tools that really become essential for the hospital, they can't live without it. And so I think when you fast forward three to five, three, four or five years, um, I think some staff will choose to not work in hospitals. Uh, that don't have um, real-time situational awareness, that don't um, give them useful, that don't present them with useful advice to guide their decisions, um, where they might not have the ability to instantly communicate with the rest of the care team across the enterprise. So in one regard, I think, you know, healthcare command centers might even become a recruiting and a retention tool. So I think we need to think of command centers as essential for high-performing organizations um, and and um, in acute care hospitals and, and beyond elsewhere in the healthcare system. And I think we also need to shift the thinking away from um, the notion that healthcare command centers uh, are a massive implementation effort that no one has the bandwidth to carry out today, uh, whether because they've got other priorities or um, they don't have um, the IT team bandwidth to build interfaces. But I think that's, um, that's kind of the, the, um, an older notion. Really today, uh, I've seen uh, organizations start small, um, deliver impact quickly, scale up with uh, adding more tiles. You know, when you implement a platform, that's the beauty of it. You can scale up um, slowly or quickly. Um, and, and use the command center actually as a catalyst for other change. And, you know, if you look at Nova Scotia Health, which is actually, um, you know, the second um, health system in Canada to implement our command center software platform, you know, their hospitals in the central zone um, currently don't have an EMR. You know, they, they have tools for patient registration and billing. And um, they can do, uh, they can enter some orders and clinical flags into those systems, but it's not an EMR yet. They've managed, we have managed together to implement command center analytics with the good information they have. Um, and, and actually those analytics are being implemented in all of the provinces 
uh, 42 hospitals. So, you know, sometimes that is accompanied by um, process change or changes to digitize certain clerical workflows. And we did that with, uh, with those central zone hospitals. Um, but really, you know, this is a good example of the command center rollout, helping drive digital transformation. And, and it sounds kind of ironic, but that's, that's really how Nova Scotia went about this. They started, um, uh, did what they could, uh, did some process change, did some digitization. Um, and then now this, the teams realize that the more digital information that we can generate, you know, the, let's let's enter our transfers not into an Excel spreadsheet, but into the tools that we have. The more rich the data model gets, the data set gets, and then the more slick and the more smart the command center tiles become. Um, and we've seen this play out in other um, other places as well. Well, it sounds think, like a sort of classic. You know, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good kind of approach. Like there's, exactly. it's possible to make progress now. Uh, don't wait for everything to be beautiful and, and ideal. Exactly. And then I think, um, you know, how we need to shift how we think about AI for operational efficiencies. Uh, I think in some circles, it's still a buzzword and it gets built into the organizational strategy because we don't want to fall behind and not do AI. So I think we need to understand what are we doing, um, around AI and healthcare, uh, and do it right because it's 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 much harder than it looks. So I think everything you're articulating to me sounds you know very pragmatic um, and very you know practical and, and in a good way. You know, it's do what you can with the data you have, make iterative progress, don't wait for the perfect. I, that all makes sense. Uh, I'm curious, just as one last question, if you sort of put the you know the the pragmatism aside and put on like rose-colored glasses and imagine, you know. 10, 20 years out, if you, if you think about the potential for AI, the potential for command centers, what's your like best case scenario for the healthcare system 10, 15 years out if, if all of this sort of evolves uh, in the way one would hope? Well, I, I think command centers will be ubiquitous in hospitals. I, the current um, you know, approaches to, to dealing with our capacity issues, be that bed capacity, Imaging capacity, OR capacity, staffing capacity. I mean, it's one on top of the other. Um, they're not sustainable. Um, adding more capacity by capital investment alone is not sustainable. So, so what can we do alongside, you know, there's going to be times and places where we have to invest uh, new capital, but how can we slow down that investment when we have other tools at our disposal? So I do think it will be ubiquitous in the next 10, 15, 20 years. Um, but I think, you know, if you look at where we are today, you know, we've only scratched the surface. You know, we've got a real opportunity, I think, in the next uh, three years even to tackle care coordination in so many more ways. And I think these are not these are not long putts. I think these are these are short putts. We we need to find organizations that are ready to do that, and that's really how we work. We don't we don't sit in dark um, rooms and come up with cool ideas on uh, where to take command centers next. We look for organizations that are ready um, to go to the next frontier and and um, develop new use cases, high value use cases with us. And I think some of those um, and and some of these are are 
you know, at the top of the agenda of where, where to go next with a lot of our um, client partners is, um, you know, patients on care pathways that extend uh, from the hospital uh, into the home. So this could be uh, post-surgical uh, recovery. And the pathway doesn't end in the hospital. It, it extends right into the patient home. And, uh, you know, keeping the patient on a, um, uh, a set protocol on what needs to happen next over the next, you know, seven days, 14 days, the next month, um, and making sure those activities are happening the way they've been prescribed, uh, there's a real opportunity there to kind of extend those pathways into the home using uh, command center uh, technology. Uh, there's a real opportunity here to, um, to support vulnerable patients living at home, and that might be the frail elderly. Um, it might be those that are living with uh, managing chronic diseases uh, at home. It could be high-risk pregnant moms, but it's when something goes wrong, when something goes sideways, when something is off the pathway, that's where the command center steps in and flags hey, we've got a situation that's emerging, let's intervene early. So that's a really good population where I think we can um, support a lot better with command center um, capabilities. Patients in long-term care homes and in other congregate settings, like oftentimes they end up, where do they end up? They end up in the emergency department. Um, you know, and, and so again, how can we intervene early with these patients um, in their settings uh, so that they don't end up um, at the front door of the hospital. And there's lots of things you can do um, similar to those vulnerable patients living at home and in the community. Um, how can we keep our eye and deliver um, kind of really uh, have that safety net for those patients that are in the long-term care um, and, and, and maybe deteriorating and how can we intervene and prevent them from coming to the hospital. I think there's also opportunities in, um, again, intensive um, operations like outpatient imaging centers, outpatient surgical centers, um, and theranostic centers. Um, these are just a few examples of outpatient diagnostic and treatment centers that you know, they really aim to focus on, their aim is to focus on capacity and demand management. And again, making the most use out of the capacity that they have. Um, they've invested in this uh, capacity and, and they're trying to um, uh, optimize throughput as much as possible uh, and, and ensure patient readiness at the same time, because the last thing you need is a patient scheduled um, you know, for a scan or for a treatment. Um, and they're either clinically or operationally not ready. Their labs have not been done or, re or received. Um, and that can result in delays and bottlenecks and a wasted slot. Um, and then there's also the opportunity there in those centers to really uh, drive up the patient and caregiver experience by reducing delays and keeping things running smooth. And then I think the last thing I'll, I'll mention is um, an opportunity around region-wide um, situational awareness to support the um, movement of patients between hospitals and facilities and, and across, you know, whether it's a um, city, uh, a number of hospitals in a city, or whether it's an entire province, um, whether it's multiple provinces, but the ability to know where do we have capacity right now, where do we have available capacity, where do we have capacity pressure, um, and to be able to dynamically um, adjust and balance um, 
where we where we look after patients and when we have things like fires and floods and pandemics. And we know that um, we've got to uh, work a lot more agile than we do uh, typically. So I think, you know, our healthcare system stands to benefit Ben enormously uh, with the implementation of healthcare command centers. But uh, I do think there's a lot more work to do yet. Yeah, no, I think that the way you described the command center, it's sort of the, the, you know, if you do it at scale and you do it perfectly, all of a sudden you have the kind of healthcare system that people sort of dream of. Like what if you had the ability to actually manage capacity and understand capacity system-wide? And I think that vision is, is why governments right now, especially the federal government are so excited by the possibility uh, of data. Um, I think we're, we are at time or perhaps over time, uh, but thank you so much uh, Zahava for, for the, uh, taking the time to talk with us today. This has been really interesting. Uh, I feel like I could sort of listen to examples of, of the potential for these systems to enhance the healthcare system uh, for quite a while longer, uh, because I think as you've articulated, there's such a wide range of potential here, uh, and I'm extremely excited to see where it's gonna go. Well, thank you, Ben. It's been great chatting with you. You as well, thank you. Thanks for listening. You can find this episode and more on our website at santashealth.ca and on our Twitter at Santas Health. This has been from the Burgundy Chairs.